0: Planes filled with precious cargo prepared for takeoff this morning. Operation Remote Immunity Operation Remote Immunity Operation Remote
1: Immunity
2: Operation Remote Immunity
1: Operation Remote Immunity
2: Operation Remote
3: Immunity Operation Remote Immunity Immunity. Immunity continues flights to 31 Nisnabiaski Nation flying communities to vaccinate adults.
2: The vaccination, however, cannot roll out to replace the vast disparities to healthcare access for the people that people face, but Operation Remote Immunity is a move in the right directions.
4: If you live in Ontario, you've probably heard of Operation Remote Immunity, or as we call it, ORI. Launched on February 1st, 2021, ORI offers residents in remote Indigenous communities access to the Moderna vaccine. Recognizing the critical importance of engaging Indigenous leadership in how vaccines are offered to their communities, ORI was co-developed in partnership with the Anishinaabe Ashkee Nation. Between January and April, 2021, vaccination teams under the direction of Orange traveled to 31 Northern remote NAN communities and Musini to administer the vaccine to residents who wish to receive it more than 25,000 doses were delivered. During this episode, we're going to give you an in-depth look at Operation Remote Immunity by talking to Team Six. You'll hear as they recount their visit to the Kasechewan First Nation community located near James Bay in Northern Ontario. My name is Rachel Scott. Welcome to Orange Pulse.
3: Uh, first, our first night in was the adventure. Um,
5: on that day, because we had gone through this sort of uh, a bit of an adventure. am not
0: sure how much you heard of the adventure from others, but uh, it uh, I, th- I think if anything could go wrong, it went wrong on that day one.
1: Uh, and what's interesting is um, on this operation, we're trying not to um, put our crews into a situation where they overnight, but... It's interesting, on day one week, one of our operation, we had one of our teams overnight.
6: Their situation in the first week became quite unique because they had to use those kits the first day (laughs) of ORI. The very first day, I'm going, oh boy. Plus, uh, the team got separated. So there were some interesting challenges. February 1st,
4: 2021 marked the launch of Operation Remote Immunity. Weeks of planning was finally put into motion as half a dozen teams embarked from one of three staging areas in preparation for five days of community vaccinations. Team 6 was no different from the other task force teams. They had a seasoned paramedic as their team lead, as well as doctors and nurses who performed vaccinations, an men's staff who kept them organized and a site coordinator. Norm Wesley was the site coordinator for Team 6. Every site coordinator was specifically identified by the Nishinaabe Ashkate Nation as someone who was familiar with the community and able to support on-the-ground activities. This is Norm. He is a teacher.
2: Teaching is my, my, my career, my profession. I taught elementary school, uh, high school, secondary uh, school. I'm a former chief of the Musqueam First Nation and chairman of the Muskegee Tribal Council. Yes, it's called Grand Chief these days. And, um, done an awful lot of things.
4: So, where do you live? Where are you from?
2: I, I live in, um, in Moose Factory, Ontario. It's a community that's about, oh, I think there's about 4,000 people here, give or take. And I never actually did a account, but it's a small community compared to Toronto. It's called the oldest English-speaking settlement in Moose Factory. Um, uh, and, um, uh, along with, uh, Kingston, Ontario, I think. But, uh... Well over 300 years, I believe it is, or something,
4: yeah? According to Parks Canada, it was founded in 1673 and established as a fur trading post called Moose Fort by the Hudson's Bay Company. That makes it just under 350 years old. So, Norm, how did you get involved with Operation Remote Immunity?
2: I, I'm the community relations uh, consultant with the Winnebago area health and scale. In James Bay here and I've been called in uh into a company the uh vaccination team into the communities uh along James Bay with um with the uh with the uh Waha as it's called and, uh, and um we we um, we usually uh um depart from factory. I do anyhow I get up early in the morning and I uh I uh I have a very quick breakfast. I head over to the airport in Musini, and we jump on the plane, the orange charger, um, to take us to the uh, communities north of here. In this case, it was Kisachewan.
4: So, Norm's in Musini waiting for Team 6 to fly in from Timmins. The plan is to pick him up, as well as an additional group of vaccinators provided by the Bako Health Authority, Waha, and then the entire group will set off to Kisachewan. Before I introduce you to the rest of Team 6, I want you to meet Pat Auger. He's a critical care paramedic with Orange, but he's currently the incident manager for Operation Remote Immunity. Hey Pat, um, do you mind discussing a bit about the remote communities that have been identified?
1: Uh, flying communities, we've actually identified 36 sites um, that we'll be supporting and some of those supports um, are certainly uh, human resources some of them are medical consumables delivery uh, vaccine and we're also uh, providing some uh, some supports around um, technical advice uh, related to assisting the communities um, in roles and responsibilities and helping them get uh, the uh, vaccine uh, clinics up and running.
4: So prior to COVID Orange was regularly involved with transporting patients from these communities. Um, Can you give a bit of insight into that or maybe touch on some of the considerations looked into for ORI? Within the healthcare
1: system itself, there are issues around health equity in that um, many of these communities, uh, while they might have a nursing station, they don't necessarily have a uh, a dedicated, uh, family medicine clinic or a hospital, uh, that you could go to, um, Orange, um, in many cases for these, uh, communities, um, provides that linkage, um, to, uh, not only, um, acute care, but primary care, um, support in terms of moving, um, uh, people in and out of communities. And so our site coordinators in the community, um, this is very much a cooperative, uh, working relationship. And, you know, we have to recognize that we are dealing with 31, uh, independent communities. Um, all of the communities have challenges, uh, related to infrastructure support, healthcare resources, et cetera. And so, um, what the NAM did was, um, they established a framework at the community level, uh, to, um, provide uh, site coordinators and the site coordinators um, are absolutely essential uh, to the success of this operation because they know their communities, they know the uh, culture of the communities. Um, In many cases, uh, as an example, depending on the community that we go to, uh, before we start vaccination, there might be a prayer, uh, there might be a ceremony. In some cases, the vaccine itself is blessed and these are all important considerations um, when uh, we're trying to get um, buy-in and, and community support.
4: It's great to hear about collaboration within each community. Um, do you mind talking a bit about how you plan an operation as complex as this?
1: To put it into, into context, uh, some of the aircraft are flying the equivalent of uh, Toronto down to Florida and back or the Gulf of Mexico and back. and And we are moving human resources, medical consumables and vaccine following a very strict uh, cold chain protocol related to that. And, you know, what I would say, you know, in terms of uh, the complexities around it uh, to start, it really required uh, implementing what's called an IMS framework or an incident management system framework uh, that covers off everything from um, medical direction where we have a, a specific medical director for operation remote immunity, uh, liaison officers for community engagement and recce. Uh, we have a uh, planning section um, that just focuses on incident management documentation um, and planning for uh, an operational cycle. Um, and there's a tremendous amount of planning um, that goes in place because we are dealing with a multitude of uh, organizations and uh, various levels of government.
4: So I did read the incident action plan, as well as the introduction package. It's about 250 plus pages of clearly laid out planning. Uh, It included day-to-day tactical operations, key positions, logistics, scope, objectives, flight operations. Um, It had team members, job action sheets, schedules, safety documentation. It even had floor plans, layouts, locations, checklists, protocols, and everything in between. Um, But the one part that just really jumped out to me was the first page. There was a big black box highlighting the 12 guiding principles laid out by NAN that Operation Remote Immunity would work within. These guidelines were imperative and it was clear that they were established to ensure that this operation was a success. It included guidelines like vaccination teams must be vaccinated, ORI must implement a phased approach by region, translation and translators must be provided at the clinic. Not only was this project well-planned, but it was a collaborative effort made with intention. Anyways, I guess it's time you meet Team Six. Here's Steve Darling. He was a team lead.
3: Steve Darling, I'm a critical care paramedic at the uh, GTA base. I op- had the opportunity to be team lead for uh, Operation Remote Immunity for Team Six, which was based out of Timmins and service the James Bay and Hudson Bay Coast.
4: So how long have you been working with Orange?
3: But I've been involved in air ambulance since 88 and paramedic since 83. Our base of operations was out of Timmins. From that location, I guess it was pretty strategic. We were able to service the uh, James Bay, Hudson Bay Coast uh, communities, and then be able to return to Timmins for resupplying, reorganization, et cetera.
4: Can you tell me a bit about your team?
3: Had um, uh, Dr. Lorian Mazurk as the, as the two ICs, it's called the second in command. Um, and we've worked together um, for at least 25 years. Um, so we sort of know each other. Uh, we hadn't worked that closely together, but uh, that was great.
0: Uh, my name is Lori Mazurek. I am a transport physician uh, with Orange. Sunnybrook, uh, a staff emergency physician for probably at least like 25 years or so.
3: Um, then I had an uh, interesting um, a group. I had a, uh, um, a merge physician from UHN. I had a, a vascular surgeon from uh, uh, William Wolsler. And I had a general surgeon uh, from UHN.
5: Uh, Karen Devon, I'm an endocrine surgeon and surgical ethicist at uh, Women's College Hospital and UHN in Toronto.
4: Okay, so I just have to interject for one moment. Dr. Karen Devon was about 30 seconds late for our Zoom meeting. She had just successfully completed an operation and took a moment to have a chat with me.
5: Oh, um, I was doing a parathyroidectomy, an operation to remove the parathyroid glands in, in a patient who needs them removed. Um, and, you know, there's always something unexpected, so it took a little bit longer uh, than uh, anticipated. So
4: She's also an ethicist and had some really interesting side thoughts.
5: Every decision we make is an ethics issue. You know, who to give the vaccine to first is an ethics issue. Um whether to emit the carbon dioxide it requires to fly to all these places is an ethics issue. Literally everything we do is ethics, um, but we don't spend as much time necessarily uh, thinking about those things until they become, you know, they come to the forefront like they have with COVID. Um, all of a sudden, ethicists are in high demand. Anyways,
4: back to Steve.
3: This group as well, um, they're pretty motivated with remote medicine. Uh, Dr. Mazurik is uh um, she's doing locomes up and down the uh, the James Bay coast as well at this time, so she's very familiar. I have
0: a, another kind of um, sort of informal role with Orange, and that's uh, as a liaison for a project I started called Stronger, which is uh, I've taken a year off of Sunnybrook, and I'm working exclusively in the north, so and predominantly First Nations communities as a way to find out. Um, Uh, better ways we can work with stakeholders in those regions et cetera.
3: and it worked out really well because our first uh, first our first night in was the adventure um
5: because we had gone through this sort of uh a bit of an adventure we all really bonded and so it was like a great team from then uh, there on in
0: yeah that was an adventure so i'm not sure how much you heard of the adventure from others but uh it, uh, I, th- I think if anything could go wrong, it went wrong on that day one. But the result of it was an amazing bonding between us and the Wahat.
4: Okay, so before we get into the adventure, can you tell me a bit about Keshe Um Have you been there before?
3: So I, I've been up there for um, five days already just doing um, site visits. Um, so I've been to Cash once, um, and I've had limited experience but I've been into the communities up there so I sort of knew what to expect so
4: dr. Devin can you tell me a bit about what you did to prepare
5: well first of all we had some uh, cultural sensitivity training um, and you know when you get the uh, the link for online training it's not always that exciting a prospect uh, this training was phenomenal the the, the training in indigenous issues was um, was just extremely educational and engaging. Um, it takes at least eight hours, but you can spend many more than that. Um, and there's still an ongoing discussion in my group uh, on that training module. So it was it was absolutely super super worthwhile. And then the next morning was go time, and so uh,
3: it was a Monday morning. We'd uh, already done our our training the day before. Um, we met out at the airport and. Um, we'd uh, gotten our vaccine. We left uh, at uh, Timmins um, and we stopped in Moosonee to pick up a Waha um, group of paramedics, uh, nurses, um, and then uh, up to cash. Um, So as luck would have it, um, the weather came in and we missed the approach.
5: We did this thing where we actually started doing a landing approach. Um, and I guess there's a certain altitude at which, at that point, the pilots have to be able to see the runway uh, and otherwise you sort of go back up. So that's what we did. We sort of went down and down and down and it was foggy and up we went. <laughs> so, um, you know, those of us who don't do this often were like, hmm, that was interesting. <laughs>
3: um, so we couldn't get into cash immediately. So we returned to Moussigny, um to uh, wait out the weather.
0: So as we get off the aircraft, we find out that we're weathered in. We cannot get into Kiszechuan. Um, In fact, I think we had tried to get in. We missed and ended up in, in Moosonee. And so there we are, faced with the dilemma of how do we get to Kasechwan because uh, we can't fly. There's ice fog. The visibility isn't such. It might be, this is around 10 in the morning, so it might be clear at about 1 and then but then that gives us like three hours or two or three hours of vaccine to vaccinate. And then they'd booked 150 people.
3: Because the one to the south of Moosonee was fine. Um, I talked to uh, Mr. O'Shea back at the command. Um, So because of the weather is so unpredictable up the coast, I told them to plan for two days um, in community.
0: To ensure people come out. We cannot fail to get there on this day. So, um, you know, we sort of huddled as a team and, uh, you know, immediately the team said, well, can we go there by ice road? Um, we'll sleep. We have uh, survival uh, gear. We'll, we can just break it out and sleep on the floor in the in the school. Like, we don't care. We're, we're with you on this. We, we support you. We, we're here to help. We don't um, we don't care if you don't have accommodation. We're going and this is our this is why we're here and we're with you on this. And we were completely willing to do whatever to make this happen. And, and, and I think all of us coming from the South who know people we would like to see immunized knew the value of the immunization and felt that this is important to do.
5: And uh, we were delayed by about five hours. And we decided as a team, team six, that uh, if we ever did get to our destinations, cause we were supposed to be vaccinating people all day already. I was supposed to start at 9 AM and we were worried that people would have come and then not get it. And that's obviously not a great start. So we decided as a group that if we could, we would stay in the community that evening so that we could have a, a late clinic and an early start. And so uh, it was it was an adventure.
4: Okay, so quick recap. Uh, team 6 is ready to go, but on their way to Cash Eschewan, it turns out the weather is preventing them from flying in. So, there seems to be quite a lot of logistics at play here. To talk a bit about some of the logistics involved, I spoke to Rob Taranishi.
6: My name is Rob Taranishi. I'm a critical care paramedic with Orange. Um, currently, I'm also in the position of standards paramedic with Orange. And my position with Operation Remote Immunity is logistics Mm -hmm. section chief.
4: So as logistics section chief, what are some of the responsibilities for your role?
6: My job as a logistics section chief is to um, make sure that all the equipment, uh, vaccine especially, um, is handled correctly and the inventory is up to date. And basically trying to get everything that operation requires. Can
4: you tell me a bit about some of the logistical challenges or new technology that came with this project?
6: We needed to find a mechanism to transport the vaccine. Uh, The vaccine is Moderna and it needs to be frozen uh, for us to travel by air, or really by any means, it needs to be in a frozen state, Uh, which logistically um, brings up some challenges because it has to be maintained between minus 15 degrees Celsius to minus 25 degrees Celsius. So it can't just be put into any sort of cooler. So we had to actually find a cooler that was able to maintain um, a a temperature of about minus 20 um, for long periods of time. Because if any weather issues came up or any sort of mechanical issues with the aircraft, the teams would be staying in the communities perhaps 48 hours, maybe, you know, 72 so we went with uh, what's called the Credo Cube, which is new to our system. We obviously don't need to use it for anything else other than the vaccine. And with that also, we needed a device to be able to monitor the temperature. We went with um, an organization called Blue Rover and their, uh, their device actually uses cell coverage and it provides us um, constant monitoring of the, the temperature inside the cube where the vaccine is being held. So that was kind of new technology for us to get familiar with as well. I also see that there is an overnight kit for teams. During the planning process, one of the big things for safety um, was to have overnight kits. So we had to come up with um, kits that would accommodate in case they can't get back home. Some communities will have places, others will have, like, say, a community center, and um, maybe they can stay, uh, like, the team can stay in there. So what we developed are uh, kits that would have a sleeping bag, um, a cot, um, some food, uh, in in case that we we're unable to get any food. But these kits would have to be carried with them every day on the plane. Um, so we had to come up with um, something that was relatively small enough to get into a plane, but still had enough to accommodate each team member. So having the the cardiac monitor and having all these things. Uh, yeah, who was uh, all the list that we worked towards. And then we had to find it. We had to get it and make sure that it was all at the hubs so that they could all operationalize that.
4: So when Rob refers to a hub, he's talking about one of three staging areas. Thunder Bay, Timmins and Sioux Lookout were identified as the best launching points to fly into the 31 remote communities. Each of these locations are in close proximity to an orange base. This means it's a bit easier to book hotel accommodations and conference rooms for storing of equipment and supplies.
6: Well, sometimes challenges is, is we don't get too much notice. So having to kind of really think on our toes in some places like Timmins and Thunder Bay, we can get most of the equipment shipped relatively quickly. In some cases, probably the next day. Sue, so Lookout is a little bit different. It takes us probably th- up to four days to get anything couriered up there. So the challenge is trying to get the equipment there, trying to get um, like a credo cube. Um, sometimes there's a, a bit of a uh, lead time to to get that from the manufacturer. So it's been very interesting and hectic and fun, I guess, all at the same time is that it's quite a challenge. Sometimes we might only get a couple of days notice that, that we're gonna expand a team or we're going to send a team to a different location and they need to bring vaccine with them as well.
4: So as a paramedic, have you had any experience working with patients in these Northern communities? Um, have you gone on like a recce or reconnaissance mission uh, for ORI?
6: I have not gone any recce missions. I had the privilege on Monday to escort uh, Grand Chief Alvin Fiddler, Grand Chief uh, of the, of NAN. Um, he was traveling to Sandy Lake uh, uh, to get his vaccination. So I was very fortunate to accompany him and spent the day with him. And he was very, very complimentary of Orange and uh, was able to kind of meet the community members and, and uh, the chief of F Sandy Lake. It was very rewarding to me that way of getting to see um, different uh, kind of um, we're there for different reasons. You, you know, we're not there to transport. We're there to provide vaccination. We're there to um, um, in a different capacity. So uh, for me, it's been very, like I said, very rewarding. And I was very fortunate in getting to listen to some stories was, was pretty amazing for me. Um, I'm, a, I'm very lucky that way. So, you know, in my career, um, it's definitely a highlight of, of my career.
4: Okay, so we heard about logistics. We heard about the plan. And now we're going back to Team Six to hear about the rest of their adventure.
3: Um, so the weather cleared, so um, we strategized and sent um, the plane up with um, all of our team, Team Six, and all of uh, the WAHA staff to open clinic. It would have been about two hours, two and a half hours late, but it was still open.
0: And the weather lifted in, all of us except Steve. Um, then we're able to fly into Kasechwan in order to, and we, we took the vaccines we have so we could start, we could fly into Kasechwan and set up and, and deliver those initial 60 while Steve and Norm would drive by the ice road um, to bring the, the vaccine up. The aircraft then had to leave and we all knew that was gonna happen. We knew we were gonna sleep wherever and we didn't care
5: actually when we got off the airplane and were greeted by sort of the rangers um there was a lot of cheering which is really nice uh to arrive to cheers um and then they piled us up and piled us into you know five pickup trucks with all our stuff um and we just got going so it it started out um you know it was It was great uh people i think the at least the first group of people that were there were obviously the most motivated to get the vaccine and the people with the least apprehension and so the first few hours were sort of quite smooth um great teamwork um and we decided as a team team six that if we could we would stay in the community that evening so that we could have a a late clinic and an early start uh
0: we just wanted to deliver the vaccine so we started, I think, at about 3.30. Um, it was amazing. Like, seriously, it was amazing. I think most of us thought this is, it could have really gone bad, but it went. turned out to be amazing. And it's a tribute to the people that were there who decided to work together. Um,
3: um, and then once the plane came back from Timmins with more um, vaccine, and then uh, Norm Wesley and myself drove up on the ice road. So Because that's when we had, um,
2: ice crystals, and uh, we had to delay the flight. The flight was delayed until one thirty in the afternoon, and um, and um, the, the uh, team went up, and and um, Steve Darling and I stayed back to uh, to wait for the uh, balance of the
3: uh, the, uh, the vaccine to arrive, and then we drove up the winter road for two and a half hours to catch up with the team um, with all the products. So that was that was two and a half hours with uh, with an elder um, to share all the his experiences um, growing up with residential schools um, and then the, uh, <clears throat> the verbal history stories were just incredible about Hudson Bay Company, you know, back in the 1600s, 1700s.
2: I, <laughs> I'm, I'm 71 years old. Well, not quite. I'm going to be 71 in June and um, I guess that makes me an older person um and 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 you were talking about elders. elders are people that 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 listen elders are people that 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 care Elders are people who love their people who love humanity and want to do the right thing and 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 if and if any of that is is, is within me, I guess that makes me an older uh am I perfect no uh do I make mistakes yes do I love my people yes uh uh so so some people say I am an elder and, and um I, I uh i feel. Very humbled in, in being called that. Uh, at times, when I do make some mistakes, which is usually every day, I feel lesser than. Uh, but uh, that's that's what that's who elders are. It's, it's 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 not who you think you are. It's how people see you. And if
3: people see you as an elder, then indeed you are an elder. Um, so up the ice road we went. Um, scenery was absolutely gorgeous. Um, so we arrived in cash approximately one o'clock I can't remember the exact time but more significant thing was we arrived just as they were giving the last of the vaccine that they had um, so with a little delay just to prepare the more vials of vaccine um, away we went and uh, we had enough supplies so we we extended um, uh, a clinic until about nine o'clock at night we were supposed to be finished at five so uh, absolutely nobody blinked an eye at it and um, everybody seemed happy so we served the community and uh, yeah we vaccinated people then the vaccination
2: went from oh i think it was three o'clock to about oh, near ten o'clock at night and we had uh, we covered a lot of ground
0: and at the end of it we had enough vehicles uh steve had enough vaccine We were committed to stay in community, shift the time from whenever we got there till nobody was willing to come. So we thought we cut off at 9.30 at night. At the end of that day, I would say every single one of us thought, man, that was singularly amazing that we could start off in such difficult um, challenges. It's not like a bomb blew up, like don't get me wrong, but with such difficult challenges, which it could have gone very badly. It went incredibly well, and I think that solidified um, the subsequent
3: successes. The first night in was the adventure, so we spent the night in community.
0: So the community uh, brought us food. They found accommodation for you because Waha had to stay uh, too as well.
3: And then we spent
2: overnight.
0: So they we all slept in different places in the community. I think um, our. Uh, Orange team of six. We they somehow got us into a bed and breakfast. Uh, Steve and I gave the four beds to the vaccinators, and Jennifer.
3: They found us a um, a uh, bed and breakfast, um, and and we ended we got in there, it was basically two construction trailers put together. Uh, there was enough beds and couches for everybody but me, so I pulled up a piece of hardwood floor and spent the night.
0: Um, Steve, God bless his soul, he took the floor and I got the couch. And uh, it's interesting, a lot of people said, you know, that was the best to sleep for my whole week. But so I think it's probably just because we were all tired,
3: um, but everybody was in really good spirits. And I think that that was really key to it. And the uh, community were appreciative of that because we didn't miss a, an immu- a vaccination day. Fortunately, uh, Concession One is the only Tim Hortons up the coast. Um, so I was able to supply them coffee in the morning and uh, they were happy. We um, got up in the morning and started vaccinating people
4: again at ten o'clock. Okay, so can we talk a bit about the building it was in and how it was organized?
3: Um, but it was say you know a, a typical school, nice uh, um, nice gym, and uh, you know your typical double um, double basketball court type of gym. Um, they had uh, um, they had organized it with a, a sort of a floor plan, so uh, they had a nice flow
5: we so we got to the gymnasium of the school and it was already extremely organized like it was really no different than the clinic that i had attended for my own vaccination in toronto Um, there were tons of people out to help um, in terms of the logistics the forms etc
2: very well organized and uh, they uh, they lay out the uh, the vaccination clinic area quite well very professionally
5: people could come in
3: register right in into a waiting area and then um uh and then they'd go to one of ten uh, vaccination stations a uh, little waiting area and then they were on their way
0: you know waha was extremely well prepared they had three medics they had a couple of docs they had their gear They were, they were all had done this before um, they in kasseschewan, the nursing stations had already committed at least three nurses to come and assist to as well, who had previously, <clears throat> you know they they usually do the flu vaccination. so they're skilled immunizers. And as in addition, they had I think at least 10 and possibly a dozen people screeners at the door who did the paperwork so that it they really created a highly efficient, system where we could literally fly through immunizations
3: so my my sort of role uh, was support completely um so jennifer young and i sort of stayed at the uh, back of the room and she was the documentation person and the uh laurie mazurik sort of ran the floor um so the vaccinators were um waha people and our and our staff as well it was a mix uh and some um the Phenib, uh, nurses as well um so i would sort of stay at the back end this the, the key to it is because it's so um uh, the processing time is is very stringent um i just sort of sat there and watched the amount of people that were coming in um and jennifer would give me feedback as far as how many pieces of uh, documentation are in so that's how many people have been vaccinated um and then I would try to stay about 20 20 vaccinations ahead um so I would just draw them up and I'd lay them on the table um so I never left that position and Lori would um run the floor and she would bring the bring the uh, new vaccination loaded needles out to the staff so there was no walking around or minimized walking around anyway
0: we had to uh, what I would call thaw and draw as fast as we could to get as many vaccines out as possible because we, they were literally like just flying off the shelf. So it, I became a gopher with a certain uh, it, a natural evolution to things that fit my skills. And Steve took over a, a natural evolution that took his skills. And and I think that that it worked extreme. I think it worked extremely well. Um, and uh, yeah. And then from there it was a really solid uni- mm-hmm. unified kind of team approach. We had people faint. We had people that seemed to have allergic reactions. We we had just about everything on that first day. So we learned very rapidly how to um, drop vaccines super fast, how to anticipate who might faint and where to put them and how to manage them. Um, and, you know, things like that, uh, that day, was probably the biggest learning experience for any of us. Um, Because I'm a physician and Steve is a medic, so Steve being more familiar with the logistics, the vaccines, and the incident command part of things, basically did that aspect. All logistics, all reporting, all sort of organization of like meals, flights, anything else that we need, he would look after it. He's also had to be the listener to all, like, and physicians tend to air their ideas, whether they're welcomed or not. He had to listen to, you know, many ideas and and try to ensure all were held or heard and that we came to consensus. So that would be his role. I think my role evolved to being kind of the medical consultant. In other words, I was like the yeah, like, I like, I like restaurant. Uh, like uh, restaurant wars and all these sort of like top chef, like they expedite her at the pass, which means as I would check the processes from the start to the finish. So I checked the, to make sure the um, the screeners are ready, that they knew what they had to do. Um, and Jennifer Young did that too as well. I, as people came in, I would and sit down. I would tr- try my best, but we had crowds to in, to direct them to open spots um and for the vaccinators if the vaccinators had questions that they couldn't answer with regards to indication contraindications or any kinds of special measures we needed to take with a patient i would answer those questions if patients wanted a physician and a physician wasn't available i would provide the physician consult to a paramedic or a nurse vaccinator for on behalf of that patient
3: at the same time we uh there was a volunteer who watched the staff um Uh, after they've been vaccinated for the 15 minutes or if they were at risk for 30 minutes. Um, And then if there were any incidents at all, uh, myself, I would excuse myself from where I was and Lori would come over and we'd do some care for the uh, patients. So
4: what was the promotion like? How did you get more members of the community to to show up and
0: participate? Get people to come... You know, Norm, uh, Lynn, uh, the chief all got on the radio. They all did live uh, FaceTime um, streaming and got people to come. And this was a pattern that continued every single day after that.
5: I was asked by the CEO of the Winnebago Health Authority um, if I would come with her and be the doc on the local radio. Um, So we went into a sort of a trailer, which was the radio. Uh, host trailer <laughs> and, uh, and we were on. So we, we basically were just speaking directly to the community. Um, I think talking about the importance of the vaccine and everything was translated into Cree or Cree Ojibwe.
2: We did a lot of, um, 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 reaching out to people to, to encourage them. And, uh, I would go on, um, uh, radio, local radio, to talk to people about the importance of being vaccinated and what herd immunity is all about, and and, and, and other things about uh, um, uh, protecting not only yourself but your children, um, your your grandchildren, your grandparents, that kind of stuff.
5: You know, we talked about information around the vaccine. We tried to dispel some myths about the vaccine. For example, you know, who's contraindicated.
2: Yeah, people are are, are uh, hesitant. There's, of course, there's uh, um, a lot of uh, people who are on Facebook. There's a lot of misinformation.
5: We invited people to come and talk to us, even if they didn't uh, think they wanted to get the vaccine, because um, the conversation was free. And um, it actually seemed to have uh, made... That was, I think, on day two, and it made quite a difference. There was quite a rush kind of after that that announcement. So that was uh, sort of unexpected and, and fun. That, uh, we had
2: uh, We had a very good turnout uh towards the end of the day, uh, we had a lot of younger people showing up, you know, and that was, that was very encouraging. And I was talking to one young lady there and she was very, very nervous about being vaccinated and stuff. And I, she mustered up all the courage she could to come there. And she came there with her sister and she was, you know, she was very, very nervous and stuff, but she did it. And, and it, was, it was absolutely awesome.
5: You know, there were people who were very motivated. There were people who were, I think, quite apprehensive but willing. Um, and uh, you know, there was the people in between.
2: In one case, we had one one um, gentleman come in, and he had a long chat with one of the one of the Orange doctors, and um, along with our president from Waha, uh, and, and uh, trying to find out about this uh, vaccine. And. Uh, and he wasn't sure because of the what he's heard, and uh, it turned out that he was very pleased with what he heard, and he went home and brought his family in to be vaccinated. So uh, it was uh, it was all good.
5: Certainly, having access be easy uh, was a major driver of that happening. I think if I think for some, if they had to make a significant effort to get. Uh, to us it would have been different um we de- we also did a few home visits uh for people who li- who literally could not leave the home
4: team 6 in, in this mission seemed like a success um on february 3rd chief leo friday uh announced that the vaccination drive was successful with 73% of individuals over the age of that 18 um, who were able to take the vaccine were vaccinated. Did you have any, you know, final thoughts or any experiences or any insights from
5: your journey? This trip was almost career changing for me. I think. I mean, we'll we'll see where I go, but I think uh, that was totally unexpected. You know, I thought I knew I was going to do some good, um, and. Uh, and probably enjoy parts of it and seeing, seeing that part of our country. But I don't think I f- knew that it was going to have such an impact personally. I most certainly plan to go back, um, probably both as a visitor, potentially with my family. Um, but I um, have been thinking of ways uh, to connect uh, in particular with some of the people that I I met there and see what kind of things we can collaborate on and what kind of services um, I might be able to provide or help develop uh, you know from from the inside out Um, so so there's no doubt that there will be further um, you know future visits from me
3: I'm pretty well a southern boy Um, I haven't had much um, experience up up north I have had experience enough to uh, sort of know how to conduct myself and you know nothing's a surprise up there but uh, um, I did most of my experience up here was just teaching come up in preceptor and then sort of leave again when we're up here um, with the air ambulance it's sort of a uh, we're up here for a reason and it's sort of rush rush and we're sort of focused on the patient at hand and we can't really interact with the people, but uh, um, yeah, there's lots of opportunity to, uh, um, you know, talk to the people. We, uh, not in cash, but specifically, but uh, we um, we ate bannock, we had moose, uh, we had uh, lots of different things. We participated in a closing um, ceremony at uh, uh, one located, in Fort Albany. I believe it was Fort Albany as well. So, you know, that was quite, uh, quite special, quite enlightening. Really want to stress that um, this is not an Orange project. We are not the lead on this project. We are not the feet on the ground. We are there to assist Waha with uh, with the logistics. Um, they, are the, they are the face of the community when Orange leaves. Um, so I think it's important that we work in partnership. I think Orange just has to come in just being very humble and uh very appreciative that we had the opportunity to participate not do
0: i think with their desire the community's desire to have the the vaccine you know thank goodness because i can tell you that was initially there was a lot of concerns about uh the vaccine but you know you know cooler heads came to bear it's probably the number one difference to the first nations commun- community with regards to covid and COVID's impact. I think we will see, you know, I'm hoping, you know, because there are variants, but as long as this vaccine does what it's supposed to do, it will, I think, be life-saving in, in many instances, regardless of who gets it. And certainly that's a big difference to small communities with minimal resources.
5: Sometimes the reasons why we do things um, are nuanced, um, but I have absolutely no doubt that prioritizing these communities with respect to the COVID vaccine is the only right thing to do. Um, There's no doubt in my mind that that is the case Um, based on, you know, both the health services that are normally available there and the devastation that an outbreak would cause. um, You know, I have absolutely no doubt.
4: Was there anything else? Do you have any other highlights?
5: of the unexpected bonus for me was getting to know um, some of the um, Indigenous healthcare workers uh, and a community elder who traveled along with us, uh, Norm Wesley. Um, that was like definitely a highlight. Uh,
4: we had a brief chat and I thought it was only right to close off this episode with some insight from a community elder. Like Norm
2: Wesley. Well, when, when 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 we were when we were uh, in, um, in in one of the communities, uh, I was I was thinking, how am I going to relate to people in terms of trying to convince them on what it is that you're doing when you get this vaccine, and and why it's important that we get as many people to come out and, and get vaccinated, and and this this image this image kind of came to my mind where we have. Um, these uh, muskox in the in the uh, in the high Arctic that uh, that are that you find in in, in in the barren tundra and, and uh, very little protection, I guess you can say, um, just you know ice and rock and snow and stuff and and um, they, they 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 survive, they survive the harshest of uh, uh, climates and, and 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 they're they're not. Because they're size, they're not at the top of the food chain, the wolves are, and, then the, and the wolves will, will chase down these, these muskox, these huge muskox, and if you're alone, then you're food for the wolf. But if you're in a herd, then you can, you can, you can run as a herd, and then when you get tired and you're pursued by a whole bunch of wolves, then, you, then, the, then the muskox will stop. And they, and they will turn and they will form a circle, uh, each of them, of course, facing outward and the younger and the weaker being in the middle. And uh, they, uh, they, uh, they challenge and take on the uh, the wolves. In the case of COVID-19, um, the virus, they're the wolves. Um, the, the, the muskots, that's us. The vaccinated are the ones standing around in the circle, protecting themselves and protecting um uh, uh each other and, ex- and, uh, and protecting those people who cannot be vaccinated or who choose not to be vaccinated. Uh, uh, um, uh, and, and the young people so so that's that's just that's that's the image i have of what uh, we do when we um when we personally are vaccinated and what we do when we are vaccinated in, in, in large numbers. And of course, we talk about herd immunity and that we try to strive for this magical number of 75% of the total population uh, to um, to protect ourselves as, as best we can. Um, is there a guarantee that uh, we will not get COVID-19? and No, there is no guarantee. Is there a guarantee that all the muskox will survive when they make the circle? No, there's no guarantee. But we do what we can uh, to, to protect ourselves.
4: I think it's important to remember that this is just one story, one mission, one community. There are so many stories and experiences out there. But thank you for coming along on this journey. I'm Rachel Scott, and this is Orange Pulse. This podcast could not have been completed without help from staff on Team Orange. More importantly, Operation Remote Immunity was only possible due to the collaboration from a number of partners the Winnebago Area Health Authority, the Sioux Lookout First Nations Health Authority, Indigenous Services Canada, the Northern Ontario School of Medicine, Queen's University, the University of Toronto, Northern Paramedic Services, the Porcupine Health Unit, the Thunder Bay District Health Unit, the Northwestern Health Unit, the Ministry of Natural Resources and Forestry, the
1: Canadian Red Cross, the Rangers, and many more.